Today on the podcast, I explore the future of storytelling, the power of building imaginary future worlds as a strategic business tool, and what skill your 16-year-old kid should be developing to thrive in the future. Welcome to the podcast, Heroes of Futurism, with me, Jonathan Cherry. This podcast is about the future and how to create it, what opportunities exist, what ideas are worth thinking about, and how you can begin to design the future that you want. Let's start right now. My guest today on the podcast is Peter von Stackelberg, who joins me online from New York State in the USA. Uh, Peter is a writer, a publisher, a world builder, and a futurist, as well as a university lecturer in digital media, narrative design, visual design, and transmedia storytelling. Peter, welcome to the podcast. It's absolutely fabulous to have you on. Uh, Did my introduction adequately sum up your work? Yes, uh, at least the uh, last decade or so. Um, I've got a long uh, history of uh, of writing and journalism as well. Okay, my my first question really is around your um, your work in strategic storytelling and world building. Um, I guess the first question would be, what exactly is world building? World building is a process uh, in which uh, you essentially create a um, a, uh, a universe uh, within which um, characters can exist, mm. uh, locations can exist, and so on. Um, now they can be uh, fictional worlds, or they can be uh, uh, non-fictional worlds or uh, a combination of the two. So you might have a hybrid uh, story world that uh, consists of, uh, uh, you know, some historical facts and uh, current locations, uh, but then fictionalized elements to it as well. Right. So we, um, we had a previous chat on another occasion um, where you explained to me the process of starting to design this fictional world. Can you just give us a brief overview of what elements you would look at and a, a brief understanding of how it is that you can put this world together? Yeah, I think the, uh, the, um, probably the most important aspect to, to world building is to approach it from the perspective of thinking of it as a uh, as an ecosystem, if you will, uh, it's a it's a broad system in which various elements will interact with each other, and uh, you know these these interactions, the connections between the elements, uh, would be uh, uh, as significant as the elements themselves mm. in shaping the world and, and what happens within it. Mm. And what what would be the value of of doing this exercise? What do you use it for? The um, uh, d- development of story worlds, um, I've applied it specifically in a couple of areas. One is um, uh, in the futures area. Mm. Uh, when you're doing uh, future scenarios, uh, you essentially have to build a world uh, within those uh, within which those uh, scenarios exist. Uh, you may be attempting to understand the dynamics of a, um, you know, a given society or a given organization. And t- to really fully understand it from a, a systemic perspective, you need to understand the environment uh, within which that organization or that society exists. Okay. 
in uh, fiction writing, um, it's it's a similar thing. Um, you will develop a story world uh, so that uh, you've got locations, you've got characters, you've got uh, histories, uh, events, and so on uh, that can play out in this broader environment. Hmm. Um, you know, people may be familiar with the concept of story worlds without you know, being uh, fully aware of, of what's happening, but if you were to look at uh, Lord of the Rings, for example, uh, Tolkien developed a whole world, including uh, things like the Elvish language, uh, to to help facilitate um, the storytelling that he was doing. Right. So, I mean, I've done some scenario work and I've written some scenarios, and I know part of the value of writing a good scenario is that it's got to have a creative title. Um, and then what you're really doing is that you're trying to write a story that people can imagine for themselves when you write a scenario. So scenarios, I, I guess, are often used in a business sense or governments would use scenarios to try and understand what the world in the future might look like. Are you saying then that world building is very similar, but you're taking it to a far deeper level? Yeah, that's that's precisely it. Um one of the reasons I became uh, interested in uh, world building uh, from a futures perspective is uh, I've, I've used scenarios for, for several decades now uh, in a lot of different settings when it came to uh, uh, you know, organizations, government agencies, and so on. Mm. But the, the richness that um, you, you could get from story worlds was typically absent from the kinds of uh, what I call four box scenarios. Mm. Which I guess, as you say, is where the value comes in um, in futures work. Because if you are working with um, with people, you really want to not just be prescriptive as to what the the future might look like. You want to give them an open space where they can potentially imagine different scenarios or different stories for themselves. So if you give them the constraints within which to imagine in, um, I guess that not only gives a richness, but it almost embeds different narratives uh, within different individuals who can add to the overall story. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the real strengths, you know, and if you're to use uh, world building from a uh, futures perspective, it, it's probably um, really important to consider whether or not you're going to involve uh, stakeholders um, in that world-building process. Uh, I've had a number of situations where we've built worlds uh, with, uh, with a group of people, and it's, it's really amazing uh, you know, how you can uh, delve into uh, the detail of a world and come up with um, elements within that world that an individual may not have thought of, hmm. uh, you know. So you're collectively building a world, uh, which I think is an important aspect of um, futuring work: is to not just say this is what the future is going to be, but rather get people to start to understand the the interactions that occur, uh, you know, how a system can evolve, hmm. uh, you know, how we can integrate our visions into uh, the process of building a different future. Mm. So, um, I mean, why is that important for a business? Because my experience 
uh, with something as simple as strategy is that often what happens is the the leadership team will go to an offsite, they will make some decisions, they'll come back to the company and present their uh, strategic vision of the future um, by a PowerPoint presentation. I guess no one really uh, has a say in uh, how they would interpret that vision for themselves. So would you say that this is a useful tool in actually embedding uh, some of those ideas within teams and allowing them to explore it for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I've, I'm familiar with and have participated in uh, strategy development sessions over the years, um, and they can go pretty uh, quickly, pretty smoothly. We can, you know, uh, a small group of executives can come up with a... Uh, you know, a strategic plan, um, a strategic direction that they want to go. But then you'd bring it back into an organization, and um, more often than not, you'll get um, confusion over what that means, mm. resistance. Uh, you know, people don't, don't want to, um, you know, go in the direction that the uh, executives have, um, have basically dictated. Uh, because um, often they're not clear about things, they're uncertain about the impact of change on their jobs, on themselves, and so on. Mm. By involving people in the uh, uh, world-building process, uh, you can develop that, um, you know, an understanding of what's going on a little bit more deeply. Mm. Now, it's, it's not always possible, you know, if you've got an organization that's got thousands or tens of thousands of, of employees, <clears throat> it's really not possible to gather everybody in a room or a stadium and do a, a world-building session. But what you can then do is you can take that world um, and start to develop a set of stories, develop the narratives around it, or basically emerging from it, mm. uh, that you can then go into an organization and begin to help people understand. Uh, and sort of understand why I'm talking about stories uh, human beings basically, I think, are hardwired to um, to work with stories as a way of understanding the environment around them. Mm. And that's not just a you know my philosophical perspective. If you you take a look at some of the studies in terms of anthropology and and the arts and humanities and so on. The um, the role of storytelling in uh, human uh, you know human uh, society um, is critically important. Um, <clears throat> it's also important uh, in terms of having a a narrative in your mind as you're trying to assimilate uh, sometimes con contradictory information. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I had a chat with uh, Dr. Tom Lombardo the um, the other day, and uh, he's a philosopher, and he said something which I found quite profound. He said that philosophy is consciousness expanding, and I guess the same could be said for stories, is that uh, if the future is uncertain and we're not quite sure uh, where an organization is going or where you yourself uh, are going, Stories and the story you tell yourself is really a way of exploring that world uh, in a way that makes sense for you. 
um, mm-hmm. far more than I suppose a prescriptive PowerPoint presentation would. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, a case study which you wrote about, and I, I read uh, a couple of months ago, and I thought it re- it was really interesting. Um, and I've put it on on the website. It was your involvement in some work with uh, Alex McDowell, who worked on the Minority Reports uh, project, which was the I think it was a 2002 2003 Steven Spielberg film, uh, which was a which was a blockbuster. Can you just explain a little bit to me uh, about that case study and uh, you know why it's so important? Uh, in in world building and understanding the power of world building. Yeah, the now we need to understand that um, the Minority Report is a science fiction movie. It's not a future scenario. Mm. But um, you know, having you know indi- indicated that there's a difference between the two, there's also a lot of similarities um, between science fiction and uh, futures work. Um, Part of what uh, Spielberg was doing and uh, Alex McDowell was brought in as the production designer to really help facilitate the development, the creation of the world within within which um, uh, the Minority Report took place. Um, There were uh, technologies um, uh, that um, were in play Uh, basically uh, the precognition technologies, and I don't want to create any spoilers in here, but, uh, you know, precognition was um, a characteristic of, uh, uh, you know, this world uh, that they were creating. Um, They were also trying to create a a realistic uh, future setting in the near future, at the time, it was somewhere around 2040, 2050, so 40 to 50 years into the future from, from the time the film was made. Hmm. Um, they were trying to basically create a real world um, rather than a fantasy world. Uh, and they, the, the process, as described in that case study, talks about how um, they took a look at um, you know technological change, for example, and, and looked at the possibilities, uh, and then basically embedded them, them in that story world in a way that they were just simply part of the background, um, which resulted, for example, in the main character played by Tom Cruise uh, walking through a uh, a mall. Uh, in which uh, facial recognition um, technology was uh, blasting uh, customized ads at uh, at Tom Cruise's character. Hmm. Um, that, at the time that the film was made, was more a, a, a notion of the future, uh, you know, a, a subject of, uh, you know, extrapolation of uh, trends at the time. But, uh, you know, almost two decades since the film was created, uh, you know, customized uh, ads are, are not science fiction anymore. They're an everyday, in many cases, an everyday annoyance mm. uh, in our lives. Uh, the, uh, the use of facial recognition um, has gone from being, uh, you know, a science fiction concept uh, to a, a real concern in terms of individual privacy 
and the emergence or the development of the uh, surveillance state. Mm. Uh, the film itself was not an effort to predict uh, what the future would be, but rather to tell this this interesting story within a realistic but future um, uh, future world. Mm. And my understanding was that they actually created that world before they uh, they wrote the screenplay for the movie. Um, so the the worlds uh, pre predated the story. Yeah. Yeah, let me give you an example of how one might uh, use a story world uh, in either a fictional sense or uh, in a future sense. There's another concept that plays into this that's just starting to emerge with storytelling, and that's the story of the, the collective journey. Um, you know, the, the hero's journey has, has been... Uh, a, a storytelling form for um, for thousands of years. Mm. Um, the collective journey is starting to emerge as, as a concept in storytelling in which uh, multiple participants from very diverse backgrounds are involved in uh, exploring and uh, telling stories about the, the story world that they're working with. Mm. An example that I've uh, I'm working uh, both as you know uh, uh, the basis for some fiction that I'm slowly writing, but also as a sort of as a test bed for the concept is a world set roughly 2040, 2050, so uh, you know 20 to 30 years into the future, as certain technologies are taking hold played against a background uh, in which uh, climate change, uh, the effects of climate change are starting to be felt. Rather than me simply, you know, creating a a small cast of characters and uh, writing uh, stories out of that world, there might be the opportunity, for example, for somebody to uh, tell a story about that world but, you know, a character located in, in Cape Town, for example, mm. uh, in which um, climate change is, is a factor in the background, but we're still looking at the human elements of what that means emotionally. You know, what do you need to do? What are the conflicts that you have to face uh, as, you're, as you're looking at uh, this changing environment? Um, Cape Town, I believe, uh, not so long ago, had a uh, uh, pending water crisis. Yeah. You know, what does that mean, uh, you know, to um, to somebody in western New York where we're actually getting more rain than ever, mm. uh, you know, as the climate warms up and things change? You know, it, it makes it easier to understand from a global perspective what it means to, uh, for climate to change. Um, if you get stories from uh, from different people, different social backgrounds, different racial and ethnic uh, groups, and so on, mm. uh, then simply having um, you know one story told uh, or a series of stories told by one individual, mm, it really makes the that story quite rich. Um, it it reminds me as you're speaking of um, the phenomenon of fan fiction. Um, where mm-hmm. people add their own spin to things, and even um, something like Fortnite, uh, the the online the online game, 
people have their own experiences of Fortnite within the world of the Fortnite universe, which I, mm-hmm. I think is what makes it such a, a robust platform that, that people engage with. Uh, the, the notion of fan fiction, um, I think, could evolve. I'm not sure if it is evolving at this point, but it could evolve into uh, more of a participant uh, fiction, uh, where it's not just fans, but you're you're working. Um, you know, you've got a group of people uh, creating stories mm. uh, who are essentially peers when it comes to the authoring of things. Uh, and they're working within the, uh, you know, the, the boundaries of the story world that's been created. Mm. Yeah, I guess on that, on that point and bringing it into a business context, if you have um, teams that are wanting to innovate into an uncertain future, if you have uh, congruence with regards to what kind of future we are creating new products or new systems for, uh, I guess that creates a space that uh, teams can prototype ideas in in that fictional future, which uh, I think is is hugely valuable. It almost becomes like a strategic asset for an organization if they're quite um, if if they've spent some time in really understanding what that future world might look like. That, in my mind, becomes uh, a strategic asset for that for that organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, one of the, the key flaws with, uh, you know, the strategic plan process that we talked about a couple of minutes ago is that the, essentially what happens is there's one vision. Uh, and uh, from that vision, uh, basically one story is told to the organization. Mm. If you turn that around and you've got a story world uh, that lays out uh, perhaps what the really broad vision is of the organization in 20 years. Mm. Uh, and then you bring into uh, it the, you know, the realistic factors that we can expect in terms of probable and possible futures. You then have a, uh, essentially a playground in which these teams uh, can innovate. But you still got to you know, enough boundaries that uh, things are not going off in every direction. Yeah. Uh, Peter, do you know of companies, I I would uh, assume that they would be in the United States, that use world building in their strategic strategic work? um, In the strategic work, no. Uh, Not at this point. Um, I I think it's a relatively new concept. Mm. Um, to use it from the development of, uh, from the perspective of, uh, of uh, organizational strategy. What I have seen is the use of world building uh, uh, in, in terms of environmental activism, uh, bringing about, uh, you know, social change or, uh, uh, you know, protecting the environment and so on. Mm. Uh, so, I think it's the, the I think there's significant potential to bring uh, world building into um, organizations from a uh, uh, a strategy perspective, but right now most of the world building is either entertainment products um, or it's used as a way of enhancing the marketing. Right. But if you can use story worlds and, and, and world building uh, to market a company uh, externally, market its products, 
you can probably use the you know similar techniques to uh, to bring about organizational change and to bring forward new strategies within an organization. Mm. It, it's not that big a leap. Okay. All right. So we've spoken a lot about world building. What I'm interested in is your perspective on the future of storytelling. Where do you think storytelling itself is going? I think um, there's really a couple of different aspects to storytelling. One is that it's an ancient approach that humans have used for um, dealing with uh, information in the environment around them. Um, so I think the fundamentals of, of storytelling will not change a lot when it comes to story structure, our interest in characters, their troubles, their conflicts, and so on. Where it will change is um, as we uh, see the emergence of uh, new media uh, or new media platforms. Um, and uh, what we've seen over the last uh, approximately uh, two decades uh, is uh, a form of storytelling called uh, transmedia narratives in which you tell a, a one or more um, stories, uh, the stories, if there's more than one story, they're related uh, based in a given story world uh, across multiple media platforms. So you may have um, a web series, uh, you may have a comic, you may have a novel, you may have a, a feature film and so on. Um, all that show, uh, you know, are based on stories that emerge from this story world and show different aspects of it. Mm. Um, through these stories, you gain uh, new insights and new perspectives on the, um, uh, on the story world itself, uh, as well as uh, understanding a little bit more about the individual characters in each of the stories. That, is, uh, that, that movement to transmedia storytelling has been uh, facilitated by the emergence of digital technologies um, and uh, smartphones and uh, tablets um, are uh, excellent platforms for uh, transmedia storytelling because you can have um, a, a story that uses text, basically a novel on a, uh, on a Kindle, for example. Uh, or on a uh, uh, an Android or an iPhone tab, uh, uh, an Apple tablet, um, you can also have a video. You can also have a comic, uh, and so on on that same platform. Uh, so it makes the packaging of these things and the and the transmission to the audience uh, easier than if you you had to have a book. And then, a, you know, a hard copy book, a hard copy comic, uh, comic or graphic novel. Uh, and then you need to go to a TV to look at the film and so on. Mm. Um, what we're seeing right now is um, essentially a struggle to figure out how to use augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, as a uh, you know uh, as uh, platforms for uh, storytelling, um, 
given the the nature of uh, stories, and I don't want to get too deeply into story theory and story structure, but given the nature of storytelling, um, it um, it can be challenging when you've got a three uh, D environment in which um, uh, you've immersed uh, an individual, uh, and then you're trying to tell a story uh, that allows them to move in any direction. Uh, and so, and uh, you know, look at you know, 360 degrees, uh, maybe manipulate objects and so on. Mm. So, so storytellers uh, are are working now towards uh, ways of uh, using the medium effectively, taking a step even further into the future. You know, lots of questions about what happens when you've got. Um, contact lenses that can, uh, you know, act as augmented reality devices, projecting images straight onto your eye. Mm. What happens when you have um, uh, computer brain interfaces that may be able to transmit memories and so on? Uh, You know, what does that mean in terms of storytelling? Yeah, well, I guess... um we don't even have to look at the future. It's something that the world is dealing with right now is uh, what they're starting to term the weaponization of storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. You just look at some of the examples of deep fakes which are starting to to emerge on the, the uh, Internet and people are understandably alarmed as to what the potential of this, uh, this new type of storytelling could be in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the wrong hands, it uh, it can be quite destructive. Uh, but as you say, the power of storytelling has always been something which um, has affected uh, human emotion and is still clearly the case today. Yeah, I think we need to take the lessons of history. Um, and basically, the weaponization of storytelling is, is not um, a new phenomenon. Uh, we can take a look back to the 1930s, uh, and particularly the Third Reich, the, mm. you know, the Nazi use of propaganda. They had a very effective storytelling mechanism to promote evil. Um, we've seen the same thing with uh, certain terrorist groups um, uh, you know, in the 21st century. Uh, weaponizing storytelling to to pull people into an ideological conflict um, and to uh, get them to act uh, in ways that uh, can truly be evil. Mm. Yeah, and and I guess um, governments are uncomfortable because that power has now been democratized. It's uh, available to anybody. The technology is is there for us to use it. Yes, and it's um, it's not just government. The uh, traditional media has been struggling how to deal with uh, these new uh, storytelling technologies for going on four decades now. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, having worked as a journalist, um, uh, you know, from the beginning of my writing career, um, I was right in the middle of some of those changes as we saw the traditional news media. Uh, being transformed bit by bit um, as uh, as information technologies uh, emerged, um, and then uh, you know just a little bit later, different ways of using that technology to uh, uh, create and uh, transmit uh, information mm. and to tell stories. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, final question, and this is one which I, I think I'm asking a lot of people these days. What advice would you have uh, for a 16-year-old living in the world today? If they are looking at the future of the world and they're trying to decide what, uh, what paths should they take, what would be a reasonable thing for them to uh, be skilled in in order to navigate the future, what advice would you give them? Well, and, and it's actually a, a very relevant question. Um, I teach um, at the college university level, and, and literally yesterday I had this conversation with uh, the communications class that I was uh, was teaching. I asked a class of 25 students, how many of you read the news on a daily basis? No hands went up. None. Um, and I've seen this consistently over the uh, the past, uh, you know, five to ten years. More and more, the younger generation is simply not um, uh, looking at uh, and using the information that's available to them. The access to information is so easy that for some reason people simply don't, young people simply don't engage in it. They don't get into it. Mm. There's also, um, at least from my perspective, um, an astonishing um, degree of lack of curiosity Mm. uh, about things. So the first thing I would recommend uh, to, uh, to young people, and not just young people, but to people generally, is be curious about the world around you. You know, you can learn things in a classroom, yes, and you can learn important things in a classroom, but the entire world is a classroom if you are curious. Mm. Uh, And it's amazing what you can learn. Uh, And it's amazing what people just simply do not learn. Mm. You know, be critical thinkers. Um, You know, when you're communicating, understand what it is that you're communicating, uh, why you're communicating. a particular thought or emotion and so on. Uh, so, so look at um, what it is that you're doing when it comes to information, how you receive it, um, how you transmit it, how you create it. Um, and then, you know, there's all of the other stuff about specific skills that you might need for a given job or a given interest that you might be involved in. Hmm. But be curious, you know, Go back to um, you know the 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 child who constantly asks why. Mm. Um, you know, the, one of my frustrations with uh, current news media and, and news media generally is they they knew the, know how to ask the who, what, where, and when, but rarely do they ask why. Mm. Uh, and, and that's from my perspective the most essential question: Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? You know, why, um, you know, is the world this way? Uh, and so on. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such a, an excellent point. Um, and it, it reminds me of that uh, now famous speech that Steve Jobs gave. I think it was at the Stanford graduation uh, ceremony. The, the clip is on uh, YouTube. You can, you can Google it. And that was exactly his point. You know, the, the world is uh, an amazing, diverse, uh, exciting place. 
And to really get the most out of it, you have to stay curious. You've got to keep asking questions. You've got to keep exploring uh, and being courageous to go and put yourself out of your comfort zone to go and see what is out there. And I guess um, people are potentially people are just fearful of uncertainty. They um, they like their comfort zones. They like to speak to the people that they they always have spoken to. And there's a certain amount of fear in in being curious and and exploring something which is the unknown. And um, I absolutely agree with you. It's it's one of the challenges of um, encouraging people to go and explore the world in that way. So I think that's an excellent point. Uh, Peter, was absolutely uh, uh, fascinating chatting to you. Um, I thank you very much for your time and for sharing your insights on the podcast. Um, yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for listening to Heroes of Futurism. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and we'll see you next time. Cheers.